0: At this time, <laughs> you might notice our uh, Pastor Josh is not here. Unfortunately, um, his family has gotten COVID. Um, they wanted me to give you a report that they are doing well, that they are recovering. Not everyone has it, but, you know, unfortunately, when you're in a household and it's a big family, it's, it's only a matter of time before other members start to get it as well. So I would say keep praying for them um, as they recover Uh, but they are doing well. They're in good spirits. Um, I haven't seen the video, but I think either Serena got a video of uh, Basil waving (laughs) in a very Basil way. (laughs) So we see you, Basil. We're praying for you, little buddy, and uh, we're waving to you too. (laughs) So um, at this time, what I'll do is I will switch over to the um, live, or not live stream feed, but the video feed for a pre-recorded sermon that Josh has left for us yesterday. Um, So he may not hear the amens or the hand claps or applause, but just know that this man was here from like, I think he was here from like two to seven, trying to figure out some technical pieces and how to even record the sermon and have it to us. So if you want to encourage him, I will let him know that there's been some of that verbal (laughs) affirmation but, um, you know, if he ain't preaching a word, he ain't got to say a thing. But <laughs> we trust that he will. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to Josh.
1: <laughs> All right. Good morning, City Hope. Uh, we are trying this out here. I hope uh, this works for us this morning. Um, we are going to—okay, good. Just making sure this thing works. Um, Yes. Hello, City Hope. Good morning. Uh, I'm sure Chris has already shared with you, but uh, COVID has hit our household again. Um, we are uh, doing okay so far. Uh, just three of us have it so far. I have tested negative. Uh, so far, it's just Basil and Amelia and Whitney, and uh, but the rest of us are uh, Just trying to be cautious in in light of the holidays coming up and all those things. We want to be careful and care for you as a congregation. So I'm really sad to not be here this morning. Um, But came in uh, last night to record uh, for you our uh, sermon for today. And uh, we're going to kind of just see how this goes. Uh, This is a new one for us. Uh, We haven't done this in a long time. So uh, bear with us if there's any technical difficulties as we walk through this thing. But with Christmas being this next Sunday, I wanted to uh, spend some time thinking about the Incarnation over the next few weeks. In particular, given that we just came off of this sermon series of the Imago Dei and what it means to be human, the question for us now is what does it mean for God to become human? What does it mean for the Word to be made flesh? And that's really what we're going to be looking at uh, over the next few weeks. Weeks And so uh, we are going to be uh, looking at um, the glory of Christ today. All all three weeks are going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 2. And uh, today we're looking at the glory of Christ. Then on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning we'll be looking at the incarnation of Christ. uh, Focusing on the virgin birth, Christmas Eve, and then the humility of Christ in the incarnation on Christmas morning. And then... Finally, on New Year's, we'll look at the imitation of Christ, following the humility of Christ. What does it look like for us to embrace the same kind of humility that Jesus displays in the Incarnation? When it comes to thinking about the Incarnation, this doctrine of God becoming man in, uh, in the person of his son Jesus, and coming to the earth, the thing that we celebrate at Christmas, uh, really... The incarnation is one of these things that's kind of like if you are uh, on a hike and you're walking through this amazing hike and there's every step there's something glorious to see. There's something really unique to see uh, around creation. And yet, you are on a hike to get to a summit so that you can look out on this glorious view. That's what the incarnation is for us. Throughout the biblical storyline, throughout the Bible, there are so many things. Every page has details that you can look at and see and ponder and grow in and all of these things. And yet, when you get to the incarnation of Jesus, it's one of these points. There's these mountaintop points throughout the scriptures. But this is one of those points that you need to just sit still and ponder. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to ponder what it is that Jesus... On flesh, what it means for us. So, here now from the scriptures from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This will kind of uh, give us an intro to the series. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead... He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess... And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, this passage here really looks at the glory of Jesus. And and according to this passage, the glory of Jesus is exaltation. The glory of Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. The end of all things when Jesus is named above every name. And every knee shall bow before him, and every tongue confess. According to this passage, that glory comes from Jesus' humility in the Incarnation, right? He did not count equality with God something to be grasped, or something to cling to. Therefore, right, right then he hum, because he humbled himself, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor. So the exaltation of Jesus comes from the humility of Jesus in this Incarnation. And the glory and mystery of the Incarnation comes from the glorious place to which Jesus descended from. You see, Jesus' glory prior to the Incarnation, we will only reckon with how truly incredible the claims of Christmas are and the Incarnation if we understand, however meagerly we can this morning, the glory of the pre-incarnate Jesus. That is the glory that Jesus had before the Incarnation. When it says, he gave up his divine privileges, what does that mean? What does it mean? Like, what things did he give up? What did he have that he gave up? The only way we will see the incredible glory of the Incarnation is to know the glory that Jesus has. So this morning, we're going to focus on the glory of, of Jesus. We're going to ponder that together this morning. Philippians two six, part of this passage, said this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Though he was God. Well, what does this mean? Well, in the Greek, verses 6 and 7 kind of form this same kind of pattern with one another. It uses these words that mean the form of God. Though he had the form of God, he took on the form of a slave. Now, the parallel language here is important for us understanding the passage. What we say about one of these things, we should say about the other. And that is to say, we are saying that he is truly man and he is truly God. So, when we say form, we should not think of the word form as like a type of something, right? A form or a version of something. More like... Uh, form, as in, it carries with this the essence of it. This word uh, is is not very much used in the New Testament. I think just three times, and so there isn't a ton here. But the English word "form" doesn't really fit uh, always with the same way in which we're thinking about it. So I actually think the NLT translation here is very good. Though he was God, not meaning that he stopped being God. He was God and is no longer. It's saying, though he was God, he gave this up, right? So in this point in time, he gave up, not being God, but he gave up his divine privileges. This is the thing that we're going to kind of unpack uh, throughout the next couple weeks. Like, what does this mean? Though he was God, he gave up his divine privileges. We should think about this This understanding of form, right? Though he was in the form of God, he took on the form of a slave, This uh, parallelism is the way in which uh, the, the, the Greek text is sort of beautiful in this. It's poetic in this. And the English translation doesn't quite get it out, but the NLT translation, I think, is good. It's trying to get at what Nicaea says, the Nicene Creed, which says that Jesus is very God of very God. It's poetic, though, in this setup, because often the deep things about the Trinity... And the glory of Christ come in poetry. Because mystery is hard to describe in precise language. Now, both of those things are important. That's why we have uh, very precise language that Paul uses in other places of the Scriptures. And why we have the Psalms and these hymns. Both the poetic language and this uh, language are very important. Uh, And and the reason that there is uh, all of this sort of... Anytime you talk about the Trinity, there's always like... Extra qualifications that are given. Like we're talking about God and we say, like, well, this is true of the Trinity. yet, but, but not that, but, but this is, but not that. And the reason for that is because we want to be crystal clear and precise. It's important for these types of discussions. Not to try to explain the mystery of the Trinity or the mystery of the Incarnation, but to state it and state it correctly. And then by stating it, to worship, to be in awe. So to look at this reality of the glory of Christ, we want to look at the glory of Christ before creation, then the glory of Christ during creation, and then finally the glory of Christ joining creation. The glory of Christ before creation. What was God doing before creation? Well, uh, we we looked at this over the summer, last summer, when we were in the book of Ephesians, and we looked at the book of Ephesians from the standpoint of looking at the triune God. If you remember, I had a, a chart that said uh, that the the, the the way to understand the Trinity, right, some ways to understand the Trinity is there is one God, right? All three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit are God. And all three persons are not each other, right? So there's a chart where... It says God in the middle, and it says uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. That's about all we can say about the Trinity. The mystery of the Godhead is that what we see in the Scriptures is God described as three persons and one God. See, the Father... We see the Son. We see the Spirit at work. And yet we see very clearly that they are one. And that there is only one God. And so, the the specific place that we want to look at here in this passage is looking at the glory of the Son, the glory of Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is God? What What does Paul mean in Philippians there? Well, we can look at another place in Paul. To learn a little bit about this, Colossians 1, Paul says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is the first in everything. For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Well, we've been learning about the image of God, right? Throughout our Imago Day series, we've been learning what it means for humans to be made in the image of God, to be stamped with His divine image, to represent Him, to display Him in the world, that there is things that, that we individually and we collectively as humans display about God that nothing else in the universe displays. And that we have a likeness to Him. And that he intentionally says, right, do not worship images because I've already made an image and it's you. And don't worship that either. But I have already, I am already displaying myself in the world. You don't need to display me any more than I have chosen to display myself. So come and worship me. Now, what does this passage say about the image of God? says that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That he is the exact representation. Right? All of God's fullness was pleased to live in Christ. He is the exact representation of God. He, as he says, in the, uh, he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Or, as he tells Philip in the upper room, if you have seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I am the exact representation of him. Hebrews 1 says it similarly. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor, the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. He sustains the universe. And He is the exact representation of God. He, is, uh, he radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Gregory of Nyssa, uh, early church father, says this, "...as the light from the lamp is of the nature of that which sheds the brightness and is united with it, for as soon as the lamp appears, the light that comes from it shines out simultaneously." If you flip on a light switch, which Gregory of Nyssa couldn't do, but if you flip on a light switch, right, the light comes the moment the lamp turns on. So in this place, the Apostle would have us consider both the sun, that the Son is of the Father and that the Father is never without the Son. For it is impossible that glory should be without radiance. And it is impossible that the lamp should be without brightness. The lights that are above you right now aren't on and lit and lights without the brightness that comes from them. The sun radiates the glory of God. There is no glory if it's not being radiated. And there is, if there is radiance, that means there is glory. So there is no Son without the Father, and there is no Father without the Son. You see, the, uh, in, uh, in Michael Reeve's book, uh, The Lighting in the Trinity, a great book um, that actually this quote comes from, he says in there, Uh, that one of the most profound things that we can see of the Scriptures is that the Old Testament calls God Father. If He is a Father, that means that He has a Son. He can't be a Father without a Son, right? So if God is eternally who He says He is as Father, that means eternally He has a Son. Meaning the Son existed forever. That's what Colossians said too, right? He existed before anything else. He existed before anything else. He radiates the glory of God. He is fully God, displays Him fully, and yet is a unique, separate person. He is in mutual love, fellowship, and joy with the Father and the Spirit. So, we really need to grapple with this. We really need to think about this. This is actually the main application of this sermon and the ones to come. Behold Jesus. John Owen in his book, The Glory of Christ, says this, Make up your mind that to behold the glory of God by beholding the glory of Christ is the greatest privilege which is given to believers in this life. This is the dawning of heaven. It is the first taste of the heavenly glory which God has prepared for us. For this is eternal life to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. This is it. This is the main Point of the Christian life, the main end of the Christian life is beholding Christ in his glory. Witnessing his glory, looking upon his glory, worshiping him because of it, seeing, loving, and pondering. So think about this He existed before all of creation. He has all the glory and all the power of God. He is fully God. Anything we think about the glory of the Father, we attribute to the Son and to the Spirit. Christ is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is always present. He is infinite. He is incomprehensible. He is unchangeable. He is all-loving. He is all-holy. He is all-joyful. He is the most glorious being in the universe. Containing all wisdom power, glory, honor, and majesty, all wealth, riches, dominion, all are His, all before creation. Not in light of creation. All before creation, in and of Himself, He possesses all of those things. He possesses all the glory you could ever want to see. He is glorious. Now, it's not all that Paul says about Him. We also see His glory during creation. The glory of Christ during creation. Christ is the means by which God creates the universe. The passage that we looked at in Colossians 1, 16 and 17 said this, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and he holds all creation together. Through him, through Jesus, God created the universe. How did God create? God created by speaking. Out of nothing, he spoke, and the universe was created. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, this is where we get back to the, the title of the series, The Word Made Flesh. And what John says about the Word in the beginning of John, right? Harkening back to the creation account, what John says is, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. This is that spot where you clarify language, Right? What John is saying, God created everything through him. Okay. Well, who created him? No, no, nothing. no, nothing. No one created him. No one created him because nothing that was created was created except by him. John is crystal clear here Jesus existed before anything else. He is forever begotten of the Father. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The Word, the Son, the way by which God created. Nothing was made except through Him. Meaning, He is pre-existent. Just as God the Father is eternally Father, He eternally has a Son. Everything was created, said, through Him and for Him. Christ... Gains all glory because He is both the means and the ends of creation. The entire universe, from the smallest molecule or atom, to the largest expanses between galaxies, from the flying insects to the burning stars, from the tiniest baby in the womb to the most important persons in history, all were created by Christ and all were created for Christ. All were created by Christ and all were created for Christ to give Him glory and honor. All are held together by Christ. All of creation is held together by Christ. Your lungs right now are held together in your body because Jesus says so. The, we looked at Hebrews 1-3, but the ESV version of Hebrews, I think, hits 1-3 uh, hits it a little better. He says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The Word, capital W, Word, speaks, Word, to hold all things together. This is the glory of Christ the Son. The glory of Christ the Son. And it's why The Incarnation is the craziest thing in the universe. Throughout Advent, Hunter put together this Advent uh, readings uh, that we have done. And and they've been fantastic. And several of them have been from Athanasius' on the Incarnation. And Athanasius wrote this whole book about the Incarnation. The early church fathers can't stop talking about the Incarnation. Why? Because it's the craziest thing in the universe. We are so accustomed to the story of Christmas that sometimes I think we forget the wonder of Christmas. The glorious Christ who knows all, created all, joined creation. And not only did He join creation, He didn't do so in the appearance of a glorious king or a giant or a supernatural being or an angel or a superhero-style warrior, but as a baby... As a fetus conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of His virgin mother Mary of her substance. Truly her Son. This is crazy. This is the glory of Christ joining creation. To understand the glory of Christ joining creation, we need to see what does that mean? The glory of Christ joining creation. That's the Word made flesh. That's meaning that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, the display of the divinity of Jesus is everywhere. It gets downplayed today um, by critical scholars and others who, who would... Look to this and say, well, well, like Jesus doesn't actually say, I am God. And the only places that he gets kind of close is in John. And so, and, and well, we don't think John wrote John and it's late and all this stuff. And it's, it's this late invention, right? You know, it's uh, all the bishops got together and they, they wanted power. So they made Christ divine, but he wasn't really divine. Friends, I submit to you, read the Old Testament. And then read the Gospels. And there is no place in which you can say that Jesus does not claim to be God. Jesus acts in the place of God. Calming the winds and the waves. Right? In the Gospel of Mark, the, the, the winds and the waves story where Jesus gets on the boat and calms them, it's, it's a crazy story because what happens in that is they are terrified that they're going to die. And then the text says that they are more terrified after the winds and waves are calmed. Because they're like, who is this man that we've decided to follow? No one turns the wind away except for God and him alone. Jesus speaks in the place of God. He forgives sins, right? And his opponents, they get it. Because they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus speaks in the place of God. And then Jesus in John claims the name of God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. The I am. This is the most direct Jewish way of saying, I am Yahweh. I am God. The Father and I are one. I am part of the divine. The Godhead. His opponents, they kill him because of blasphemy, claiming to be God. This is the glory of Christ in His divinity, and it's everywhere. And it's the very thing that the early church was so convinced of that they went and endured persecution because they knew that Jesus was Lord. Now, it is absolutely true that the Nicene Creed that works out all these details about it and all of this stuff that comes later. Absolutely. But you know what the Nicene Creed affirmed so quickly and why they had all these debates? and why they were able to condemn heretics and, and uh, condemn heresy that was, and, and heresy, right, church history, is like not, not believing in Jesus, right? Not like every little uh, detail of things, but like big stuff, right? And when, G, when they got to these points, it was, if anything, that you bring forward, The theological nature that says anything that downplays Jesus as Lord and Savior and downplays the worship that we give Jesus as God of the universe, we are rejecting it because we worship Jesus. The worship of the early church of Jesus displays exactly what they thought of Jesus. He was God. He was God. But though he was God... He did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. The Gospels display Jesus' humanity. You can't get around it. He didn't just appear to be a human. He was really human. He was really born. Hebrews says, right? He was made flesh and blood because the ones he was coming to save were flesh and blood. He affirmed that God made you the right way with bodies, humans, because he was going to redeem you through Jesus becoming a human. He had real limitations in his humanity, he had real humanity. He really was born. He really died. He really rose from the dead. And all of that was done in a real human body. Because He was truly man. Right? Remember that parallelism that we said about uh, uh, Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Though He was in the form of God, He took the form of a slave. So what we say about the form of God, right, is that He's the exact form of God. He's the exact imprint of God. So the form of man, he's the exact imprint of man. He's the exact form of man. He actually is really 100% God and really 100% human. And that is the glorious mystery of the Incarnation. The Incarnation is for us and for our salvation. Christ became man. was born of the Virgin Mary for us and for our salvation. For us to behold God Himself and to worship. So if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian and it's close to Christmas and you're wondering about Christmas and all of these other things, I want you to think about just for a moment, just ponder what if this were true? Just just suspend your doubt for a second, doubt your doubt for a second, and think for a moment. What if all of this were true? What if Jesus was real? He was really human, really claimed these things, and his followers really followed him to death because they really thought he was God? What if all that's true? And what if, if that's true? Think about the glory, the God of the universe. Who knows every star by name and knows their location and knows their exact rotation and knows everything about every single fish in the sea and every grain of sand on the beach, every snowflake that falls from the sky, which is utterly unique, every single one of these things, he knows all of it. And yet, he became a human baby for you. For you. So that He could display for you what God is like. So that He could show you I love you so much that I will endure the humble position of being a human because I love you. And then not only that, He's going to live a life of perfect obedience that gets credited to you who trust Him by faith. And then He's going to die on a cross to pay for your sins and mine. Our rebellion against God In thought, word, and deed, so that we can come near to him, so that we can know him, and so that we for all eternity can worship him. Cling to that Jesus. Come to that Jesus. Come to him. He loves you and he longs to be with you. For those of us who are trusting in Christ, friends, this is it. This is the high point of the Christian life. The Christian life is not primarily about us learning a set of philosophical rules, us learning a way of life, us learning a way to to do things in the world. All of those things do come, absolutely. There's a way of life. There's ethics. There's love of neighbor. There's radical service. There's all of those things. But you know where those come from? They come from beholding this glorious mystery. We're going to talk about some of those things in The Imitation of Christ. Being like our Savior. But if you want to be like Him, you have to behold Him. You have to look upon His glory. So let's do that. This week, in the midst of the hustle and bustle and all the things that are happening, take time to behold the glory of Christ. Think about Him before creation, during creation, and then enjoining creation. He is glorious. and He longs to be with you and show you who He is. So let's cling to Him. Let's cling to Him together. Let's pray. Father God, we pray now that You would be gracious to us, that You would allow us to behold You. We are unable to do so without You, without Your glory, shining forth without all of the things that you are doing in the world, Lord, we would be unable to see you and behold you. So, Jesus, we pray that you would be gracious, that you would come near to us, that we would behold your glory and worship you. Would you gain all glory and honor as we worship you now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Amen.